Alright everybody, it's the April 18th edition of Cascadian Views. I've got Dan and Chris with me here this week. Let's get into it. It's uh, It's been a while since we checked in on redistricting, and the other kind of flip coin of that is we've been keeping an eye on gerrymandering across the country, um, from places where it's been done against Democrats to places in New York where the Democrats have fully embraced the dark side. Uh, we got a bit of news out of Florida uh, this week, where I guess the Republican legislator did not gerrymander enough for Ron DeSantis, and he vetoed their maps. Yes. So, so he threatened that he was going to veto it, then he actually did. And then he um, provided his own map, and the legislature didn't say, we'll take it under advisement, they didn't say, we'll hold the hearings, we'll vote on it. They said, okay, that's the map we want, Mr. Governor. Really is the new Trump. You just do what he says. Yeah. Yeah, and so he pulled this, um, the state legislature, but he's kind of uh, circling around to do it again with the congressional districts now that he's unveiled his compromise. He's calling it his compromise map. The compromise being my Republican state legislature did not racially gerrymander enough, so I created a map that does it even more. How uh, how bad is the DeSantis map compared to the uh, the current map, I guess, in Florida? Um, I think if I've seen something that gets into that. Because the Florida map was not super great as it was, there were possibilities to no. draw plenty of Latino districts that they had not. Yeah. All right. Okay. I think it's just a matter of making it even worse, and you know, specifically the kind of odious way he's specifically gone after race in this. You know, basically his argument was, it's racist, but there's a district that's strongly favored the black candidates, so it should be less <laughs> racist than the districts that are more unfavorable to them. And this is kind of par for the course for Florida's Republican Party at this point. The state's been increasingly tipping to the right wing for probably a couple decades at this point, and they're just getting to the point where they're comfortable going fully masked off on quite a bit of this. Yeah. Well, but I mean, again, what's kind of extraordinary about this is that the state legislature did a fairly aggressive version of this, and then the governor decided it wasn't aggressive enough, basically overturned their work, and they rubber stamped it. I'm assuming there's going to be a, a court challenge. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's pretty fertile grounds for it. So, I mean, what the Supreme Court has kind of come down on in the last few years is that political gerrymandering maybe is okay, but <laughs> racial gerrymandering is still not. And it's a pretty good case to be made that he's so specifically targeting black people. Yeah, I don't know. I have a 
have a hard time seeing this court agreeing to it. Um, just, I, I'm even more and more confident we get Roberts on anything that matters now, but I'm less and less confident we get anybody else. So that's just yeah. a, a straight series of five to four decisions in my mind. <laughs> well, I didn't say it would be a successful argument. I said it was a good argument. Like it will be the argument of the challenge, but yeah. I don't know that I really expect it to succeed. Speaking of court challenges in Florida, a federal judge in Florida has struck down the TSA's mask mandate, uh, or excuse me, the CDC's mask mandate for travel, and the TSA has now announced they will not be enforcing that uh, for now. They they definitely leave this open to re-clamping down if the courts give them the okay, uh, but the judge ruled that the CDC has overstepped their statutory authority in terms of getting involved in travel. Uh, Dan, you are the closest thing we have to a legal analyst. Courts are in such a great place right now, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, man, it, it seems like that's really right in the CDC's wheelhouse, but we've got which, which, and that's Fifth Circuit, right? I was actually the district, U.S. Oh, district, district for the Middle District of Florida. Uh, a uh, Trump-appointed judge, too. Of course it is. Of bloody course it is. I mean... The case was brought by the Health Freedom Defense Fund. Uh, that <laughs> like exactly the sort of outfit you would expect, too. Uh, yeah, um, I mean, all of these cases, at least from what they seem like, they've got very little to do with the political, the uh, legal merits of things anymore, and it's all really coming down to politics. Uh, yeah, uh, unfortunately, I mean, Biden's got about, I would estimate, another eight months to undo damage <laughs> that's been done before court appointments basically stop. Uh, he's got in his probably a record clip of court appointments up to this point, but unfortunately, yeah, I mean, if he doesn't hold the Senate, which yeah. is looking really, really hard to do, hmm, all that really comes to naught. And Really, it seems like you're going to see plenty more of decisions like this where everything that the administration really can do at this point, because the uh, legislative branch can't particularly legislate, so the executive branch tries to do everything on its own, and honestly, it's a bit of an overreach anyway, because you've got, you know, really the executive branch trying to do things that may or may not be some creative interpretation of the powers of the presidency anyway, but uh, then Trumpified or just a, a uh, very, very conservative judiciary just out to 
stymie and stomp on anything that a Democratic president does, just, you know, nixes anything just flat out on the political side of things, just flat out, you know, stomps on it before it can even begin. This is just going to be the dynamic of everything going forward. And I think this is just another example of that. I mean, we've seen that's been the story of much of uh, the first year of Biden's presidency when many of his executive orders were overturned, uh, whether things like uh, the eviction moratorium or uh, many of his uh, executive orders concerning immigration or, uh, you know, pretty much up and down the board. Uh, and so he's had to, you know, fight things well, out of court. Or, that's right. All, you know, there, yeah, up to it, including things uh, like, yeah, <laughs> that's exactly it. This so, just strikes me as like it's in a different category, I think, than a lot of those things. You know, you could argue around about the eviction moratorium and whether the federal government has the right to modify contracts between people after they've been entered into, but interstate travel is like constitutionally defined as their prerogative there is there is no arguing against this there's no gray area there's no shades of nuance this is an area the federal government has sole competence yeah it it just it seems over a lot yeah but that's also your your judiciary on uh federalist society hats what it got stocked with in four years of Trump and then before that. And a lot of these are also some holdovers from the Bush administration as well. But, you know, McConnell and Trump, they did a number on everything. Yeah. So, yeah, they really did. Mm-hmm. And followed Obama from being able to appoint for most of his yeah. Regarding the Health Freedom Defense Fund, have you guys ever read the uh, Daily Show textbooks that they came out with, like, a couple decades ago now? Was that? The Daily Show had a couple mock textbooks that they put out a couple decades ago. Uh, Guide to, like, Earth or something like that. It was a history and sociology high school-style textbook. And they had a little bit in there about how you can determine whether or not a country is a hellscape based on the number of inherent lies in their name, using the Democratic People's Republic of Korea as an example. The Health Freedom Defense Fund strikes me as exactly that sort of thing, (laughs) neither for health, freedom, or defense. (laughs) All right. Uh, I guess... Like uh, guess we've got uh, some incitement around uh, various Trump endorsements. Uh, and actually, I wanted to add a whole nother one in here because there's some drama coming out of Nebraska about a Trump impo- uh, Trump endorsed candidate. But, uh, yeah. Ooh, okay. So if you haven't heard of this, a Republican state senator from, uh, from Nebraska published a whole thing this week uh, talking about the Trump-endorsed candidate, and I believe it's a Senate race out there, 
couple years ago at uh, an event, stuck his hand up her dress. Uh, and I guess she's just one of about 20 women to come forward at this point. Um, and it's, it's become a Republican on Republican thing, which is always newsworthy, I guess, uh, even though this topic would probably be newsworthy on its own, but that's the hope that most of the, uh, coverage of it is going with. But, uh, Chris, why don't you tell us about, uh, about Dr. Oz, I think, is another one in there. I can't believe that guy's relevant again. <laughs> yeah, so, um, Trump endorsed Dr. Oz in the Pennsylvania primary, which the Republican Party in Pennsylvania and nationally really wishes he hadn't done. Uh, he didn't care, though. Oz was a quacky celebrity. I mean, how is Trump not going to endorse him? Birds of a feather, yeah. But, yeah, the, um, so basically he is more troubled as a candidate and also just less reliably Republican, ironically, of other things than the other major candidate in the race who the state party was backing. And Trump has kind of set on, I don't think he's formally announced it yet, but he's threatening to do the same thing in the Ohio race, which again, you know, nationally, Mitch McConnell and company wish he would not do, and the state party in Ohio also wishes he wouldn't do. So he's kind of set on endorsing J.D. Vance there. Vance has been kind of making a name for himself just as a troll, basically, I think is yeah. the best way to, to phrase that, uh, which is kind of funny because that's the same basic media personality Trump has. Oh, and uh, just to correct myself since I have it up, it was the uh, gubernatorial candidate in Nebraska, and there was eight who had agreed with him. or the state Republican uh, state senator said uh, as a woman in conservative politics you just get used to being treated with respect and this was shocking uh, yeah six women say that Herbster was the guy's name Charles Herbster he's a businessman running for governor uh, six women said that he touched them inappropriately a seventh woman said he cornered her and kissed her forcibly against her uh, consent and the eighth woman has made allegations to authorities that have not stuck. So, yeah. Trump endorsement really creeps me out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the doc. I mean, Sorry, continue, Chris. Well, is there any reason to think this is actually a handicap in a Republican race at this point? I mean,. It is, you know, Republican on Republican violence in the media between, you know, the state senator and the governor that that might matter. I don't know. Uh, Nebraska is also the state that's more or less okay with Ben Sass, who is not super Trumpy, even though he's been a great conservative. That's true. Uh, the Dr. Oz one just... I've... 
I've spoken before in the group, actually, when there was a big push to try and draft Oprah to run for president. Uh, how irresponsible I thought it was for her to give Dr. Oz, you know, a national spotlight and a platform and all that. Um, yeah. He's always been someone I struggled with, um, not extremely well respected in the gay community, not really all that interested in evidence-based medicine or, or anything that is what you look for when you're looking for a natural, competent, you know, physician or, or health spokesman. But uh, it, it does seem weird to me that out of that, you know, kind of woo-woo bullshit platform Oprah was pushing in the 90s, you got both fairly liberal figures like yourself and then what turned out to be super conservative figures like Dr. Oz. So, Yeah, I mean, the one thing I can say for that is if it is an Oz versus Fetterman race, that would be fantastic. That would be highly entertaining. Yeah, until Oz wins. <laughs> that would make Oz entertaining. Yeah, uh, that's this is kind of the whole depressing thing about the 2022 <laughs> body in general. Like, it'd be kind of funny if you were running in California and didn't have to actually worry about it, but, I mean... There's, there's at least, like, a 50-50 chance Pennsylvania has a Republican senator after this race. I mean, that's the shitty thing about Herschel Walker running in Georgia. <laughs> it's the yeah. yeah. Down the line, man. Oh, God. Yeah, like, I mean, I guess the hope there is that once he starts having to actually campaign in, like, a two-person race with all the focus on him, all yeah. the negatives start to weigh in, but as of right now, he's pretty much pulling even with Warren. Is yeah. he, I mean, is he, though? The Republican strategy has just been fairly openly that the media is against us, so screw the media. There's not going to be presidential debates this next campaign. Like, I don't know if you guys are still laboring under the delusion that there will be, but the Republican Party has said that their candidate will not be participating in, in the Committee on Presidential Debates debates. Right. <coughs> so, yeah, they're just tired of being called out on it, aren't going to interface with that part of the media that does, and just try and make their own echo chamber big enough to win an election, which, surprisingly, in a bunch of states, I think they're there. Yeah. So, you know, we can have all these, like, oh, perfect, you know, thoughts of the future, perfect visions of the future where all this comes out. But in the end, I don't think anybody's going to care because the only people reading about it are going to be people who aren't going to vote for him anyway. The people who are going to vote for him aren't going to hear any of this because they've successfully sealed themselves into a Republican media bubble. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think there's something to that. Yeah, that's my reaction, too. Uh, we're really kind of cruising through these, so I'm going to have to add a few more as we do it. But uh, let's see here. We'll get one more, right? Uh, I'll have this one. There we go. Oh, yeah, Chris, you had a local story from Vermont. 
Yeah, well, um, so there was this really just sad and stupid incident um, last week where a transgender woman was murdered. Um, and, you know, it's it's one of these things where the um, the guy who did it basically said, like, well, I was sexually attacked when I was defending myself, which the police said right away, that doesn't really match <laughs> the evidence of the scene. And everybody who knew this woman said that is completely ridiculous. So, you know, he went out with the gay panic defense. And I think it just kind of galvanized the community for a little because there's, there's a couple of things that have happened recently. Um, about a week before this, a couple of Republican state legislature candidates were putting out material targeting Democratic candidates who had um, Democratic legislators who had, you know, basically done a, like, support a trans youth type bill. And they'd just gone totally, like, red state talking points on them. Like, these people are trying to deprive parents of a of the chance to say what their children do, and they're grooming children, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, in that vein. So I think it's kind of made people realize that even here in Vermont, there's still a lot of hostility to the LGBT community, and also the Republican side of it is really doing what the Republican side of it does all around the country. There have also been some incidents in the past year where they've kind of snuck candidates onto school boards who presented themselves as moderate candidates, but then when they got on school boards, turned out to be, you know, interested in transgender youth and critical race theory, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just a lesson, I guess it's a, a warning to me that the Republican Party is really mobilized and is doing this nationwide. And it's succeeding in ways and places that you wouldn't necessarily think on the surface. You know? Yeah. It's not all DeSantis does it in Florida because he's <coughs> It happens in Nebraska because it's Nebraska. something that has caught on with a, a very wide swath of the population there that's incredibly disheartening and seems like a replay of where we were in the gay rights debate in like the 70s and 80s. Yeah, I mean the fact that I don't know why it's surprising to me, but it's surprising or disheartening or just is making me actually ill that you know, seriously, what the Republicans are going to run on is Democrats are encouraging criminals, they're trying to make your kids trans, and they're sneaking critical race theory into every school district in the country. Like, there isn't an actual solid policy difference anywhere in that. Kind of on that topic, did you see they rejected textbooks in Florida for containing critical race theory? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Math, dude. Math. It's like a parody. Yeah. 
Vermont, as you say, Chris, is not a state really known for this. So the fact that it's it's getting traction is, yeah, not great. Yeah, well, and they're doing, you know, one thing they're doing is what the conservative movement has done very successfully for decades, which is really look at the local races nobody's paying attention to and start to get your your bomb thrower activists in those positions. You know, and they're doing this in school boards all across the country right now. Yeah. It, in fact, there's a relatively open plan on our side to capture a school board. Uh, I am going to flip around for a couple local stories up here in the Northwest. One's been kind of a subtopic we've focused on. Uh, the addition of a couple judges uh, in Trump's term to the Supreme Court came with one somewhat unusual feature in that I believe it was Kavanaugh um, is actually a fairly strong supporter of Native American treaty rights in the United States, something that the courts have been missing for quite a while. Uh, and we, we have another decision that touches on that uh, from Washington, where Klickitat County uh, is, or has been, trying to take part of the Yakima Indian Reservation for quite a while. Uh, the dispute goes back to 1855. Uh, that was when the U.S. government signed a treaty uh, that gave the territory uh, on the the territory to the Native Americans at the border on the southwest that quote passed south and east of Mount Adams the spur whence flows the water of the Klickitat and Pisco rivers. Uh, that spur, if it has ever existed, does not exist today. Uh, there is conflicting information about whether that spur ever existed, even at the time that the treaty was written, uh, which is not unusual. Uh, the Northwest Angle in Minnesota is precisely because we define the border by where the Mississippi uh, River crosses a certain parallel, and it turns out that the Mississippi River does not actually get up to that parallel. So they just kind of had to make the best guess they could at it. Same thing happened in Washington. Uh, for the last century and a half, the state has been trying to get this this territory back uh, since no spur actually is there as defined in the treaty. Uh, the Supreme Court has now essentially closed the door to that completely. Uh, and they've, they've given the tribe basically full control of the land that they had always had full control of and, and shut the county down. Uh, this is... A this is the latest in the string of rulings that has more or less completely backed Native American rights to their land. Uh, I know we, we talked about them being exempted from certain uh, hunting and fishing rights, or hunting and fishing rules and regulations. There was also the case where it turns out about the eastern third of Oklahoma actually becomes, uh, actually belongs to Native American tribes in that area. Uh, this, the court has been very respectful of Native American rights over the last couple of years here, and well, it's it's interesting to see. Does it everything seem basically okay with that decision up there, Dan? Yeah, yeah, I think that everything seems square. Yeah, I think that's all right. Andy, I think that jumps out at me. Yeah. 
And then the other local story I wanted to touch on uh, just a couple hours ago, actually, in uh, in Portland here is a continuing example of the gun violence in the city, which is at an even higher pace than last year, would we obliterated our previous homicide record. Uh, the U.S. Marshals got involved in a shootout in, in Southeast Portland on Sandy Boulevard uh, around 11th Avenue and Ash Avenue. Uh, it was part of the uh, the violent fugitive team trying to take somebody into custody. That follows about 10 hours after another shootout in Southeast Portland that was not related to law enforcement, left one person dead, two children injured. Uh, don't know the story in this one yet. It happened three hours ago. Uh, the FBI, I know, has been on the Portland streets uh, as part of the response to the gun violence. They made a number of arrests over the last couple months. Uh, it's kind of weird when national law enforcement is, like, descending on your city because of a, a crime wave. I've not really experienced that before. The last time the federal government and federal law enforcement descended on the city was due to mass protesters. So, new feeling. Frankly, sounds like some bad stuff happened. Yeah. It's actually, I, I've seen the FBI teams around a couple times. They're, they're in very much unmarked cars that are way too fancy and nice to be like Portland police unmarked cars. <laughs> They're in, like, $100,000, like, obviously federal government cars that are tinted to shit, and then all of a sudden you see lights start flashing out of, of the, uh, the black windows and shit. Uh, I've seen them go screaming down the, the streets. It's, it, I appreciate that they're here. <laughs> I, I really do. Unlike last time, when they could go fuck off. They are very much here for a good reason this time, but it's also just... It's kind of weird to realize that, you know, you, not you as in me, the person, but you as in, you know, Portland in general is now considered both important and bad enough to get the attention of the media. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I, I think that's just going to about do it. Dan, do you have anything from up in Washington? Not this week. No, it's pretty slow. Have you gone to see a Kraken game yet? I have not. No. Okay. I've been trying to decide if I should should switch anything, uh, NHL games. I've mm-hmm. I've been a Sharks fan basically my entire life, but now that Seattle has a team, they're right up the street. I might actually be able to like go see a game. I've kind of been thinking about becoming a Kraken fan. All right, that's neither here nor there. I hope you guys have a good week, and uh, thanks for joining me.